Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There is a right time for everything, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to destroy, a time to rebuild, a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, a time to dance, a time for scattering stones, a time for gathering stones, a time to hug, a time not to hug, a time to find, a time to lose, a time for keeping, a time for throwing away, a time to tear, a time to repair. A time to quiet, a time to speak up, a time for loving, a time for hating, a time for war, a time for peace. I have been reading the very familiar first eight verses of the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book found in the Old Testament. It was written nearly 3,000 years ago by King David's son, Solomon. His purpose in writing this book was to spare future generations the bitterness of learning through their own experience that life is meaningless apart from God. There are only 12 chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I hope you might find time to read it this year. And now I am going to read some selected verses as I skim over Ecclesiastes from the Life Application Bible. God gives those who please Him wisdom, knowledge, and joy. Everything is appropriate in its own time. But though God has planted eternity in the hearts of men, even so many cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And I know this, that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added or taken from it. God's purpose in this is that man should fear the all-powerful God. In due season, God will judge everything man does, both good and bad. So when you talk to God and vow to Him that you will do something, don't delay in doing it, for God has no pleasure in fools. Keep your promise to Him. It is far better not to say you'll do something than to say you will and then not do it. He who loves money shall never have enough. The foolishness of thinking that wealth brings happiness. The more you have, the more you spend, right up to the limits of your income. So what is the advantage of wealth? except perhaps to watch it as it runs through your fingers. It is very good if a man has received wealth from the Lord and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and to accept your lot in life, that is indeed a gift from God. The person who does that will not need to look back with sorrow on his past, for God gives him joy. The more words you speak, the less they mean. A good reputation is more valuable than the most expensive perfume. It is better to spend your time at funerals than at festivals, for you are going to die, and it is a good thing to think about it while there is still time. Don't be quick-tempered. That is being a fool. Enjoy prosperity whenever you can, and when hard times strike, realize that God gives one as well as the other, so that everyone will realize that nothing is certain in this life. If you fear God, you can expect His blessing. There is not a single man in all the earth who is always good and never sins. The wise man will find a time and a way to do what he says. Because God does not punish sinners instantly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. 
But though a man sins a hundred times and still lives, I know very well that those who fear God will be better off. Give generously, for your gifts will return to you later. Wisdom is better than strength. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. It is a wonderful thing to be alive. If a person lives to be very old, let him rejoice in every day of life. But let him also remember that eternity is far longer, and that everything down here is futile in comparison. Young man, it is wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do all you want to. Take in everything. But realize that you must account to God for everything you do. So banish grief and pain, but remember that youth, with the whole life before it, can make serious mistakes. I'm sure that you have probably heard, as I have, that if you learn from the experience of someone else, you are a wise person. But unfortunately, most of us have to learn the hard way from making our own mistakes and learning from our own experiences. Solomon was trying to lead people to seek true happiness in God alone, because Solomon himself had tried everything else. He was not trying to destroy all hope, but to direct our hopes to the only one who can truly fulfill them. John Hagee, in his series, The God of All Hope, says that hoping is not wishing, but that our hope is based on God's truth. Reading from Hebrews 11.1, 1, What is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. In a few minutes, I am going to read to you some of the true account of five brave men who believed that their hope of an eternity in heaven was worth everything, and their sacrifice gave proof that their hope and their faith were in God. And now reading from the last six verses of Ecclesiastes, the final chapter 12. But then, because Solomon was wise, he went on teaching the people all he knew, and he collected proverbs and classified them. For Solomon was not only a wise man, but a good teacher. He not only taught what he knew to the people, but he taught them in an interesting manner. The wise man's words are like goads that spur to action. They nail down important truths. Students are wise who master what their teachers tell them. But my son, be warned, there is no end of opinions ready to be expressed. Studying them can go on forever and become very exhausting. Here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments, for this is the entire duty of man. For God will judge us for everything we do, including every hidden thing, good or bad. I want to go back over to that verse from chapter 11 that says, If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. I want to read to you from the notes for that verse. Waiting for perfect conditions will mean inactivity. This practical insight is especially applicable to our spiritual life. If we wait for the perfect time and place for personal Bible reading, we will never begin. If we wait for a perfect church, we will never join. If we wait for the perfect ministry, we will never serve. Take steps now to grow spiritually. Don't wait for conditions that will never exist. And now the notes from the verses that I just read at the very end of the book. The book of Ecclesiastes cannot be interpreted correctly without reading these final verses. No matter what the mysteries and apparent contradictions of life, you must work toward the single purpose of knowing God. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon shows us that we should enjoy life, but this does not exempt us from obeying God's commands. We should search for purpose and meaning in life, but they cannot be found in human endeavors. We should acknowledge the evil, foolishness, and injustice in life, yet maintain a positive attitude and strong faith in God. 
All people will have to stand before God and be judged for what they did in this life. We will not be able to use life's inconsistencies as an excuse for failing to live properly. To live properly, there are five things we need to do. We need to recognize that human effort apart from God is futile. We need to put God first now. We need to receive everything good as a gift from God. We need to realize that God will judge both evil and good. And we need to know that God will judge the quality of every person's life. How strange that people spend their lives striving for the very enjoyment that God gives freely as a gift. It was this free gift from God that was on the minds and hearts of these very special men that I'm now going to tell you about. This past week, as I was reading in the one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin, I came across the account of the last days on earth of the five American missionaries who were martyred 60 years ago this month in South America. There was a movie made about their efforts to share the gospel with the Akua Indians of Ecuador, believed to be the most primitive and savage group of people on earth. I was able to take my Sunday school class of fifth and sixth graders to see this movie about 10 years ago. The name of the movie was The End of the Spear. I want to read to you some background information on these five men who sacrificed their lives to further the gospel of Jesus, also from the one-year Christian history book. And then I want to read you the account of their last days on earth. This reading is from December the 23rd. In 1955, five missionary couples in the jungles of Ecuador were planning for a chance to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the remote and fierce Akua tribe. They had been conducting gift flights over Akua territory attempting to create awareness of their presence by dropping packages of clothing, food, and gadgets to the natives from a small plane. On December 23, 1955, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott flew over Akua territory and dropped a gift package of clothing, a flashlight, and other trinkets. This time, the missionaries received a package back from the Akuas, who tied it to a long cord the missionaries had dropped from the plane. It was full of fish, peanuts, bananas, a parrot, and other meats. The gift from the Akuas greatly encouraged the missionaries, and four of the five couples met that same day to plan the trip that would bring them face-to-face with members of the Akua tribe. The group began assigning the specific duties each member would be responsible for on the mission, providing shelter in the jungle, packing food and supplies, maintaining a communication link with the home base, transporting those who were to go to and from the remote location, as well as other vital tasks, were all necessary for the success of the mission. It was decided that the men would set up a camp on the beach near the location of the Akua's main settlement. They chose January the 3rd, 1956, for the mission as they knew they would need to arrive and depart before the onset of the rainy season, which would make takeoffs and landings impossible. As soon as the plans were finalized, the missionaries turned their attention to making Christmas in their camp, as much like home as possible. A meal was prepared, and a Christmas tree was made from bamboo and decorated with tinsel to celebrate Jesus' birth. Missionary Pete Fleming was still undecided as to whether he would accompany the other men on this trip. He waited on God in prayer continuously. For the wives, it was a time of reflection and preparation for the dangers that they were sure to confront their husbands on this mission. They knew it was also possible they could all become widows as a result of this expedition. They also knew that the God they served held first place in the lives of each of their husbands. This fact seemed to hit home now more than ever. December 23rd was also a day of self-reflection for the men. 
Why were they risking their lives for the chance of making contact with the Akuas? Nate Saint summed up their sentiments. If God would grant us the vision, the word sacrifice would disappear from our lips and thoughts. We would hate the things that seem now so dear to us. Our lives would suddenly be too short. We would despise time-robbing distractions and charge the enemy with all our energies in the name of Christ. May God help us to judge ourselves by the eternities that separate the Akuas from a comprehension of Christmas and Him, who, though He was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we might, through His poverty, be made rich. And then I want to read to you from January 9th, which is the one I had just read this past week. New Year's Day 1956 was the day for the five missionaries to prepare for their upcoming attempt to contact the fierce Akua Indians of Ecuador. Nate Saint, the pilot, was going to fly them to Palm Beach, where they had previously exchanged gifts with the Akuas from the air. As Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, and Roger Uteran collected what they would need for their mission, Betty Elliott, Jim's wife, wondered, Will this be the last time I'll help him pack? After breakfast and prayer on the day of their departure, January 3rd, the five men sang one of their favorite hymns, We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. Thine is the battle, thine will be the praise. When passing through the gates of pearly splendor, victors, we rest with thee through endless days. Once on the beach, they built a treehouse and prepared to contact the Akuas. On Friday, January 6th, a visit from an Akua man and two women encouraged the missionaries. They spent several hours together and even gave the man a ride in the plane. Saturday, no Akuas appeared, but Sunday morning when Nate flew over the site, he spotted some Akua men walking toward their beach. At 12.30 p.m., Nate made his prearranged radio call to his wife Marge back at the mission station. Looks like they'll be here for the early afternoon service. Pray for us. This is the day. We'll contact you at 4.30. When 4.30 came, the missionary wives switched on their radios. Silence. Five minutes went by, and then ten. Sundown came, and still no word. The wives slept little that night. Monday morning, January the 9th, 1956, Johnny Keenan, another missionary pilot, flew to the beach. As Betty Elliott awaited his report, Isaiah 43.2 ran through her mind, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. She prayed, Lord, let not the waters overflow. At 9.30 a.m., the pilot's report came in. Marge Saint shared it with the other wives. Johnny has found the plane on the beach. All the fabric is stripped off. There is no sign of the fellows. Another pilot immediately contacted Lieutenant General William K. Harrison, commander-in-chief of the Caribbean Command, himself a Christian. Radio station HCJB in Ecuador flashed the news to the rest of the world, five men missing in Akua territory. By noon, a ground party was organized to go to the site. On Wednesday, Johnny Keenan made his fourth flight over the beach. Marge Saint, who had hardly left her radio since Sunday, called the other wives, and as soon as she was able to speak, she said, They found one body. Johnny had seen one body floating face down in the river. In the afternoon, Johnny radioed in again. Another body sighted about 200 feet below Palm Beach. The five wives had no idea whose bodies they were. The search party located four of the five bodies. 
but Ed McCulley's had been swept away by the river. The other four were buried on Palm Beach. What happened to the Akuas? By the end of 1958, Betty Elliott and Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, were living among them, and one by one the Akuas put their faith in Jesus Christ. The five men who murdered the missionaries became not only Christians, but also spiritual leaders among their people. After they believed, they shared how on that faithful day they heard singing from above the trees. Looking up, they saw what appeared to be a canopy of bright lights. God was welcoming his children home. Nine years later, in June of 1965, two of Nate Saint's children, Kathy and Stephen, were baptized at Palm Beach by two of the men who had killed their father. In the reflection section, it says, In 1948, Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit, that I may be a flame. But a flame is often short-lived. Can thou bear this, my soul? And another thing that they found in one of Jim Elliott's journals was, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that was true of his life and these other men. They gave up something, but they knew what they were going to get was far greater. I want to read you a couple of verses from Margaret Clarkson's song, So Send I You. So send I you to leave your life's ambition, to die to dear desire, self-will resign, to labor long and love where men revile you. So send I you to lose your life in mine. So send I you to hearts made hard by hatred, to eyes made blind because they will not see, to spend though it be blood, to spend and spare not. So send I you to taste of Calvary. And then from the hymn, We've a Story to Tell to the Nations by Ernest Nichol. We've a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right, a story of truth and mercy a story of peace and light. We've a song to be sung to the nations that shall lift their hearts to the Lord, a song that shall conquer evil and shatter the spear and sword. We've a message to give to the nations that the Lord who reigneth above hath sent us his Son to save us and show us that God is love. We've a Savior to show to the nations who the path of sorrow hath trod that all of the world's great peoples might come to the truth of God, might come to the truth of God. For the darkness shall turn to dawning, and the dawning to noonday bright, and Christ's great kingdom shall come to earth, the kingdom of love and light. We who are Christians have a story to tell. It is the greatest story ever told, and love will give us the strength and courage to tell the story. These five brave men loved enough that they went to a place in South America where they were hated, and they shed their blood to take the message of Jesus Christ's love and sacrifice. And when that story got there, it did shatter the spear and sword, and it did conquer evil. And those Akua Indians who were blind received their sight as Christ's great kingdom of love turned their darkness into light in that dark corner of Ecuador. I would also like to point out that the wives who stayed in Ecuador, some with children, also played a vital role in the spread of the gospel. Many of you may be familiar with Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth Elliott, who is an author and well-known speaker. Where is your hope today? We know where Jim Elliott's hope was and those other four brave missionaries. But where is your hope today? Where is your neighbor's hope? 
Where is your co-worker's hope? Your child's hope? Your grandchild's hope? Your boss's hope? We don't have to go to South America, but we have a story to tell, and it is the greatest story ever told. Pray for the strength and courage to tell the story of God's great love and Jesus Christ's great sacrifice that I hope is the source of your hope today and every day. Thank you for listening. been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 